One Week Season. NFL Edge Audio. Jaguars at Texans. Kickoff Sunday, September 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 44 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. James Robinson sets up extremely well here, with likely heavy involvement in the passing game and a robust red zone role. On the other side, Brandon Cook sets up well against what should be a heavy man coverage defense, a coverage which he has crushed over the previous three years of his career. Jaguars' defense puts up an interesting case to be worthy of addition to a condensed player pool, but Tyrod Taylor holds historically low interception rates over his career. Not much else to like here in what should be a slow grind of a game. How Jacksonville will try to win. The Jaguars have completely changed the dynamics of their team, on both sides of the ball, as well as throughout the coaching staff. Head coach Urban Meyer should combine with offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel to create a dynamic offense that aims to put pressure on multiple levels of an opposing defense. Expect intertwined routes, heavy shotgun, bubble screens, quarterback motion, and ball-out quick usages. The name of the game here is going to be getting their playmakers in space with the ball in their hands. On the defensive side of the ball, expect defensive coordinator Joe Cullen to utilize heavy man coverages with single high safety coverages. I also expect numerous tailored blitz packages on various downs and distances. On the ground, incumbent starting running back James Robinson should be utilized in a semi-workhorse role after the loss of rookie Travis Etienne. We should see a dynamic run game that utilizes pulls and sweeps combined with quick outs and slants through the air. The 4-3 Tampa 2 defensive scheme expected from the Texans defensive coordinator Lovey Smith is an antiquated system that is liable to struggle against the dynamic nature of the run game here. James Robinson is one of my early week favorites to hit the rushing bonus on DK and punch one into the end zone. Add an expected 5-6 to six targets to that and he becomes one of my favorite early week plays at running back. Expect Carlos Hyde to mix in as a change of pace back, but Robinson should enjoy a stranglehold on the available running back opportunities in addition to a heavy red zone roll. Through the air, expect perimeter-wide receivers DJ Shark and Marvin Jones Jr. to run a robust route tree. Combine that with a dynamic inside playmaker in LaVisca Chenault Jr., and the likelihood for this offense to involve the RB in the passing game heavily out of the backfield, this offense becomes a legitimate problem for the Texans. All four of the primary playmakers through the air see a boost against a zone-heavy defensive scheme, but LaVisca Chenault and James Robinson particularly pique my interest. The problem with Visca is that the volume is difficult to project meaning he should be treated as a low-floor, moderate-to-high-ceiling option. How Houston will try to win The Texans brought in head coach David Culley, who served as the Ravens' pass game coordinator over the previous two seasons, to turn their franchise around. Culley is an old-school coach who emphasizes the basics and execution. This would be all fine and well if they had the personnel on the roster to execute that approach effectively, but this team on paper is hashtag not good. Holdover offensive coordinator Tim Kelly broke into the league coaching for Bill O'Brien in 2014, but we should expect heavy influence from Cully's West Coast offensive philosophy, learned under the tutelage of Andy Reid. Cully was quoted as asking his OC for more balance than they saw in 2020, a year that saw the Texans lead the league in pass yards, Deshaun Watson threw for 4,823 yards. We should expect this team to see a decrease from the third-ranked situation neutral pass rate from 2020, 63%, for as long as they are in games, which is unlikely to be the case as we get deep into this season. I expect, and that's about all we can do in week one with so many changes across the NFL, 
to see a more neutral 55-45% pass to rush rate on early downs to begin games as Cully looks to assert his influence. On the ground, we are likely to see newcomers Philip Lindsay and Mark Ingram share early down touches with holdover David Johnson and newcomer Rex Burkhead handling clear passing down duties. They will be executing this game plan behind a bottom five offensive line per PFF's preseason rankings. Opposing defensive coordinator Joe Cullen is likely to utilize a hybrid 3-4-4-3 single high defensive alignment with heavy man coverage. This style of defense is difficult to run against, which limits RBs in the second level. Through the air, based on what we saw in the preseason and the offensive philosophies of the West Coast spread offense, expect wide receivers Brandon Cooks, Chris Connolly, and Nico Collins to run layered routes designed to open up space for their playmakers. QB Tyrod Taylor has the stigma of being incapable of attacking downfield, but he has shown respectably average intended air yards per pass attempt over the previous four years, dating back to his Pro Bowl season with the Bills. We didn't see very much of the starters in the preseason, but most of the passing was executed within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. With the Jaguars likely to be in single high man coverage for a good chunk of the game, Brandon Cooks profiles immaculately as someone who can take advantage of off-man coverage. Just two years ago, he ranked fifth in the NFL in wide receiver rating against off-man coverage, racking up 739 yards against that style of coverage. Likeliest Game Flow It is likeliest we see the Jaguars assert dominance over this game flow rather early here, with the edge in both personnel and scheme. Houston should begin the game looking to move the ball methodically with a balanced attack, but should be forced into a more aggressive aerial approach as the game moves on. It isn't a perfect matchup, but it sets up most optimally for Brandon Cooks to take advantage of, due to the expected increased pass volume. The Jaguars' dynamic offense should be able to sustain drives through a punishing run game and a disguised pass game, leaning on the power run game at a higher rate as the game progresses. Tributaries Just about every game in Week 1 should have a viable tributary, as we just don't know as much as we think we know, with a ton of off-season changes this year. Going full JM here, if we played this slate 100 times, the Texans would be able to maintain a balanced approach deep into the game for 20-25 to 25 of them, effectively erasing any interest I would have in Houston's pass catchers and lowering the ceiling of Jacksonville's run game. Chargers at Washington football team. Kickoff Sunday, September 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern. Over-under, 44.5. Game Overview by Pappy324. This game has the makings of a low-scoring affair between two quality defenses. Expect the Chargers to look like the Saints of the past decade. Herbert is a superstar in the making. Gibson is a week one value based on workload, if you believe coach speak. How Los Angeles will try to win. Los Angeles saw large changes from last season in their offense. However, because these changes occurred at offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, and along the O-line, four new starters, Rather than at the more well-tracked skill positions, casual players might not realize how different this offense could look this year. It's reasonable to expect Lombardi to install the offense he ran successfully for years with Drew Brees and the Saints. The change at OC is substantial enough to essentially throw out the way Los Angeles played in 2020. Los Angeles' frantic pace of play, fastest in the league, should decline to below league average, like the Saints of past years. While that means fewer plays, it also likely means higher efficiency. Justin Herbert had one of the best real football rookie years in NFL history. He was also the number six fantasy QB after he took over. Putting it plainly, my man balled out. Despite playing behind a bottom five offensive line, Herbert eviscerated the blitz, ranking first in the league against pressure ahead of Patrick Mahomes. 
Herbert's success against the Blitz could be interpreted as an unstable stat, likely to regress, but good QBs tend to shred the Blitz. Some of the top QBs against the Blitz since 2014 are Mahomes, Brady, Wilson, and Rodgers. So maybe Herbert is just good. With a proven OC and an improved offensive line, Herbert is set up for success in 2021. Los Angeles has a solid group of wide receivers, headlined by alpha slotman Keenan Allen and deep threat Mike Williams, who is entering a contract year. Allen should continue to see high-volume targets in the Michael Thomas slot role in Lombardi's offense. Williams has millions of reason to produce this year, and although he has been dealing with a hip flexor during camp, he is currently expected to be ready for week one. In Lombardi's offense, Williams should see five to seven intermediate to deep looks a game with high upside and a low floor week to week. Behind Allen and Williams, we are likely to see a rotation between deep threat Jalen Guyton and third-round rookie Joshua Palmer. They should occupy low-volume roles similar to the Saints' ancillary wide receivers of the past. Los Angeles brought in Jared Cook, who already has a familiarity with Lombardi's offense. Cook looked like he had something left in the tank last year and has weekly touchdown upside to go along with an expected range of four to six targets, with spiked usage weeks possible in positive matchups. On the ground, Los Angeles' attack is likely to mirror the Saints' running back usage of the past decade. Austin Eckler fits perfectly into the Alvin Kamara role, with whoever wins the position battle at RB2, Justin Jackson, Larry Roundtree, Joshua Kelly, filling the Mark Ingram, Latavius Murray role. Expect Eckler to see 15 to 20 touches, many of them being receptions, with whoever function as the RB2, possibly a rotation to begin the year, picking up the rest. Lombardi wasn't shy about using Kamara at the goal line, but Eckler's skill set isn't ideal for short yardage, and it remains to be seen which back will see the most red zone work. How Washington will try to win. Washington has one of the most aggressive head coaches in the NFL in Ron Riverboat Rivera. His teams consistently play to win rather than to not lose, and although it may not have always looked it at times in 2020, that was more due to roster limitations than a desire to be conservative. Expect Washington, with a now functional, aggressive QB in Ryan Fitzpatrick, to come out firing. Fitzmagic has always lived up to his name. He gives you fits, and he gives you magic. He is Diet Jameis Winston, and Rivera will give him leeway to attack. Washington should increase their tempo and pass rate from last year. Across the O-line, Washington looks like a solid unit, but they did lose right tackle Morgan Moses, who they hope to replace with second-rounder Samuel Cosme. This unit is still strong, but might take a step backward to begin the year. Washington's wide receiver room is a lot more crowded than it was last year. Terry McLaurin, F1, is joined by newcomers Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, and rookie Deami Brown, to go along with holdover Cam Sims. Fitzmagic has long loved himself an alpha, and F1 should fill that role. Expect high target volume most weeks, around 8-12 to 12 looks, with plenty of those coming downfield. Behind F1, a lot of guesswork comes into play. Samuel has upside, but he has missed most of camp with a lingering groin injury, and how he'll be used is difficult to determine. Assuming week one health, something around four to six looks with a few carries thrown in feels like a fair projection, with a lot of possible variants either way depending on his deployment. Humphreys will be the slot wide receiver, a role Fitzmagic has never heavily utilized. He should see five to seven low upside possession targets. Behind the top three, you're hoping for a broken play. Last year's breakout tight end, Logan Thomas, screams regression. His 110 targets feels almost impossible to replicate with increased competition, and Fitzmagic is not known for targeting his tight ends. Expect a significant drop in volume, with Thomas landing somewhere between 3-5 to five TD upside looks per week. Washington's backfield is led by popular breakout candidate Antonio Gibson, 
There is every reason to think Gibson will be utilized as a 20-plus touch per game back, but J.D. McKissick is still on the roster, and it's hard to envision his passing game role disappearing completely. Coach Beak has been that they want to utilize Gibson in a CMC role. If you believe the coaches, Gibson's projected volume makes him a week one value, regardless of matchup. Fitzmagic's gunslinging is bittersweet for Gibson. Fitzmagic's play should increase his scoring opportunities, while decreasing his target potential. Gibson may become more touchdown dependent than currently accepted thought suggests, and might end up being a player to target only in positive matchups. Likeliest game flow. This is one of the lowest game totals on the slate, checking it at only 44.5. Additionally, it's projected to be one of the closest contested on the slate, opening as a pick'em before moving to Los Angeles as a one-point road favorite. Washington's defense faced a soft schedule last year, but they also dominated their competition, and even though they might be overrated as a unit this year, they're still well above average. Los Angeles' defense is more middle of the pack, but isn't weak, and will be facing a Washington offense that has a lot of new faces at the skill positions. Expect both teams to come out aggressively trying to win, but both defenses to hold up relatively well. The most likely outcome is a low-scoring, competitive slugfest that is close throughout, with the game being decided late in the fourth quarter. Tributaries. While I think the most likely game flow is highly likely in this contest, there is one tributary worth considering. This alternate game flow relies on two beliefs. The first, that Washington's defense is overrated based on a soft 2020 schedule. The second, that Justin Herbert is a superstar. If both those things are true, and Herbert can quickly grasp Lombardi's offense, it's possible Los Angeles surprises everyone and pastes Washington. Think of Herbert looking like a young Drew Brees with legs. The line has moved one point in Los Angeles' favor, and while not significant yet, if the line keeps moving and crosses three, that could be a sign that this tributary is in play. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Hawks at Colts. Kickoff Sunday, September 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 49 and a half. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. Seattle will want to establish their new-look offense and build momentum and chemistry on their installed new concepts, including faster pace between plays and shorter, quicker route concepts. The Colts will want to help new QB Carson Wentz get comfortable in his new situation after missing most of the practice reps during training camp. The Colts' defense should be strong enough to keep the Seahawks from building a large early lead, while their offense will likely not have the explosiveness to build a lead of their own, resulting in a tough, competitive game. How Seattle will try to win. New offensive coordinator Shane Waldron was brought in to renovate the offense, focusing on pace and getting the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands quicker. This will be their first test, and while we didn't get to see anything from the starting unit live in the preseason, by all accounts, the transition has gone well, and they have looked sharp during training camp. This should be a good matchup for their new offense as the Colts play primarily off man and deeper zone type coverages cover two, cover three, and cover six which aims to limit big plays and keep things in front of them. The Seahawks' new scheme is designed to attack those shorter areas of the field, and they have the athletes to make plays after the catch. The Colts' run defense is notoriously strong. Over the last two regular seasons, they have given up three 100-yard games in four matchups with the freakish Derrick Henry, and none over their other 28 games. Their defense is anchored by their two first-team All-Pro players, 
linebacker Darius Leonard, and defensive tackle DeForest Buckner, and is built to create problems for opposing run games. Buckner and his fellow defensive linemen are great at disrupting blocking schemes and causing havoc in the middle of the field. Leonard and the rest of the Colts' speedy and athletic linebacking core are terrific at filling gaps on inside runs and pursuing and tracking perimeter runs. The pieces of the Colts' run defense just fit and make it very difficult for opposing offenses to run the ball effectively. While this is still a Pete Carroll team that will not completely abandon the run, this should be a perfect storm for the Seahawks' debut of their new OC. The Seahawks will take what the Colts give them, short and intermediate passing, and attempt to efficiently move the ball down the field while hoping for their athletic receiving core to make a few big plays after the catch. How Indianapolis will try to win. New QB Carson Wentz missed most of training camp after a broken bone in his foot required surgery. He recovered on the fast end of his 5-12 to week timeline from that surgery, but was then promptly placed on the COVID list after only a couple of light practices in his return. This is hardly an ideal lead-up to the season for a QB in a new situation, looking to turn his career around. The one positive that Wentz has going for him is his familiarity with the system that head coach Frank Reich runs, as Reich was his OC in Philly during his first two seasons in the NFL, including his 2017 Pro Bowl season. That is all-important context because of what it means for how the Colts will likely approach this game. Wentz will be rusty after all the missed practice time, and given his past, the Colts need to make sure they work him in slowly and don't break him early in the season by asking too much of him. This should lead to the Colts leaning on their running game and short area passing. The Colts have a solid offensive line that should have an advantage over the Seahawks' defensive front. Seattle ranks 6th in the NFL in rushing yards allowed last season. That number is deceiving, however, because the first half of the season, when their offense was on fire, they forced many teams to abandon the run in catch-up mode, while during the second half of the season, they faced a parade of poor offenses and running games. The Colts will provide a great test to Seattle's run defense as they have a superstar in the making running back, a formidable offensive line, and are very well coached. All this sets up for the Colts to use a heavy dose of the run game and keep Wentz in manageable situations, emphasizing short area passing, screens, curls, and crossing routes, and conservative play calling. Likeliest game flow. These are two very well coached teams, and this should be a highly competitive game. The Colts' offense will not play aggressively enough to pull away early in the game, and the Colts' defense by nature forces teams to take short gains and matriculate the ball down the field. Both teams have matchups that should allow for some success moving the ball, but also serious reasons to worry about being able to score quickly and or finish off drives with touchdowns. This could result in a lot of long drives ending in field goals, which would make this a lower scoring game than the over-under would lead you to believe. The likeliest game flow is a slug-it-out, back-and-forth game with a low likelihood of a shootout. Tributaries One way this game could play out could cause a team to abandon their initial plan and speed things up. That scenario would be if Wentz comes out rusty and unfamiliar with his new situation, and the Colts have a couple of sloppy early turnovers. This situation could lead to short fields, and Seattle could build a big early lead if given those opportunities. This would force the Colts to become more aggressive and play at a faster pace. In that situation, Paris Campbell and Naeem Hines could become very intriguing plays out of the slot and backfield as potential high-volume pass catchers. T.Y. Hilton is on IR, and Michael Pittman, while very talented in his own right, will play primarily on the perimeter against the Seahawks' physical corners and deep zone schemes. A Seattle D plus Campbell stack would be an intriguing way to attack this game as more Wentz pass attempts at a faster pace would likely be the result of early mistakes i.e. sacks, fumbles, INTs, TDs for the Seattle D, 
and also lead to more opportunities for those types of plays throughout the game, simultaneously creating a scenario where Campbell could see upwards of 10 targets at a very cheap $3,700 price tag on DraftKings. It is important to note that in Week 1 of 2020, his only healthy game of the season, Campbell saw 9 targets and a rush attempt, with a healthy T.Y. Hilton. Jets at Panthers. Kickoff Sunday, September 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern. Over-under, 45. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. These are not the same teams as last year. You could call this the Gase Bowl, as both the Jets and Sam Darnold move on from life with the now high school OC, Adam Gase, controlling their destinies. New York will use misdirection, play action, and a mix of short passes and shot plays to try to get the Panthers' rising defense off balance and out of position. Carolina will try to get the ball out of Darnold's hands quickly and will use their short area weapons in creative ways while strategically taking some shots against an undermanned Jets secondary. Do not underestimate the significance of this game for the teams involved. The Jets have a passionate coach who will pull all the stops to get that first win. Meanwhile, Rule is coming off a very disappointing 5-11 first season in Carolina and will be feeling a lot of pressure to start on a good note against the perceived doormat Jets. Uncertainty around the roles for Jets' skill players is an unknown that will have some landmines and huge opportunities for profit. Expect concentrated volume for Panthers around two or three players. How New York will try to win. The Jets played at a painfully slow pace in 2020, with Gase calling the shots and refusing to bump up the pace even when the game was clearly getting out of reach. They have significantly improved their personnel and scheme during the 2021 offseason, and with the number two pick and noted gunslinger Zach Wilson behind center, they should look to turn the page with some excitement. Do not underestimate the impact Gase left on this franchise or the desire the staff and front office will have to emphatically turn the page to start the season. We should expect energetic head coach Robert Sala and OC Mike LaFleur, both Kyle Shanahan disciples, to have some creative things in store and play aggressively from the outset in week one. The game plan for the Jets will likely be to attack the Panthers in their areas of weakness or uncertainty. While this shouldn't come as a surprise, compared to the tendency of the prior regime to do what we do, this needs to be noted. Panthers' defense struggled last season, giving up 24 or more points in 10 of 16 games. While they did make some nice acquisitions this offseason, they will need to prove that they have taken the next step this season. The Panthers' defensive strength is their front seven, with vulnerability in the secondary despite the additions of number 8 overall pick J.C. Horn and possibly over-the-hill A.J. Bouye. The Jets will use their outside zone running scheme and some misdirection to stretch and stress the front seven of the Panthers. That will set Wilson up for play action and let him use his athleticism and arm strength to push the ball down the field or get the ball quickly into the hands of his new weapons and let them try to make plays. The Jets will also look to use a good amount of early down passing to give Wilson easy completions to set up shorter, more manageable second and third downs. The Panthers played cover three at the highest rate in the league and blitzed at a rate well below the league average. The Panthers do not have any individual pass rushers to fear, so their low blitz rate should leave Wilson with plenty of time to throw. The seams and the flats are generally the areas of weakness for the cover three defense. This should suit the Jets well as they can run quick hitters in the flats and let their wide receivers accumulate yards after catch, yak, or let Wilson sit in a clean pocket and push the ball downfield in the seams. Corey Davis was one of the top yards per route run, YPRR, receivers in the NFL last year. Elijah Moore was tearing up camp before the quad injury kept him out for a couple of weeks. And Jamison Crowder, Tyler Croft, make for great security blankets for Wilson to start his career. Like the 49ers personnel, where LeFleur was previously the passing game coordinator, 
The Jets have stocked their receiving core with athletes who have no trouble separating from their defenders and breaking tackles and making plays after the catch. How Carolina will try to win. The Jets took a crushing blow in the preseason when they lost their best defensive player, Carl Lawson, to a ruptured Achilles. Another key defensive player, linebacker C.J. Mosley, has not played a regular season game in almost two calendar years. The strength of the Jets' defense is probably their interior defensive line, but that doesn't do much for them against a Carolina team that is not trying to pound the ball up the middle. It would make sense for the Jets to be aggressive and to attack Darnold with blitzes and exotic fronts to try and force the same type of mistakes he made that pushed him out of New York. However, the Jets' secondary has significant issues, as they were poor last year and appear to be in a similar spot this year. There is only so much you can take from the preseason, but the Jets played most of their starters the entire first half of their second preseason game and were torched by Kurt Benkert and the Packers' third-team offense for 14 points and almost 200 yards of total offense. Aggressiveness on the front end will leave the Jets' shaky secondary in one-on-one situations against some explosive playmakers for the Panthers. Rule and Brady's offense was dink and dunk last season, but it remains to be seen if that was their desired route or just what they had to do with Teddy Bridgewater as QB. The addition of Darnold at QB was initially thought to be a sign they would look to attack more downfield, but Rule threw some cold water on that idea with comments stating, We don't really want him holding the ball and letting it rip. We want him to play in progression, play in timing. So that's new to him. It will be interesting to see how the Panthers approach this week one game philosophically. Will they hold to Rule's comments and have Darnold gain confidence on short and intermediate passes? Or will they allow him to attack the vulnerabilities in a Jets secondary that gives him nothing to fear? Most likely, they will enter the game trying to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers with quick strikes and short area work. DJ Moore was used significantly as a downfield receiver last year due to the presence and role of Curtis Samuel. With Samuel now in Washington, offensive coordinator Joe Brady should have some creative ways to use Moore ready to go. In his only preseason appearance, Moore had a 6-for-48 line on six targets over two possessions, signaling a new high-volume role is likely in the cards. In any regard, the Panthers will ride their offensive engine, Christian McCaffrey, as far as possible. He is a QB's best friend and the Panthers should be able to get the ball in his hands early and often while mixing in their other weapons and keeping Darnold clean. As long as Darnold can avoid boneheaded mistakes, Panthers should have no trouble moving the ball against the Jets in whatever manner they choose. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a much higher likelihood of turning into a track meet than the current 44.5 over-under would imply. Neither team has a defense to fear. The Panthers boast a clear offensive identity and a plethora of high-level playmakers. The Jets significantly upgraded their scheme and personnel and have the element of surprise on their side given all the changes and limited preseason. Carolina should have no trouble moving the ball down the field behind CMC and their mismatches against the Jets' secondary. The biggest roadblock from this game truly taking off would be Carolina's red zone struggles last season that carried into the preseason. If the Panthers can convert their drives into early touchdowns, it could elevate the tempo of this game in a hurry. In that scenario, the Jets should have no issue with turning up the pace and letting Wilson try to keep them in it. He has the talent and an aggressive mindset to cut it loose if they fall behind. Vikings at Bengals. Kickoff Sunday, September 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern. Over under 48. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. Both teams have made some changes in personnel and or coaching staff, but their philosophies and core remain largely unchanged from 2020. Minnesota should have significant edges at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Cincinnati enters this game with a lot of pressure on Zach Taylor, 
after two disappointing seasons and Joe Burrow in his return from a torn ACL. How Minnesota will try to win. Following offensive coordinator Gary Kubiak's retirement in January, the Vikings promptly promoted his son Clint from QB coach to the OC position. All signs point toward continuity on that side of the ball and a continuation of most of the philosophies and concepts that the Vikings offense used to finish 2020 as the 11th highest scoring offense in the NFL and 4th in offensive yards per game. It will be interesting to see if Clint can add some new wrinkles to the offense while maintaining the concepts that Zimmer prefers as a team that controls the line of scrimmage and clock. Minnesota will impose their will on the ground with their improved offensive line and highly successful running scheme. Due to the Bengals' lack of consistent pass rush, the Vikings should be able to run some more complex route concepts and utilize play action often. Given their significant matchup advantages, this will allow Minnesota's elite wide receivers to get open at all levels of the field. The Bengals play a mix of man and zone coverages and are middle of the pack in blitz rate. In this matchup, they will face some tough decisions on how to try to slow down the Vikings. If they attempt to bring pressure with blitzes, they leave their overmatched secondary personnel in difficult spots trying to contain the stud-wide receivers of the Vikings. If they do not bring pressure and sit in zone coverages, Kirk Cousins should be able to pick them apart from a clean pocket. Cousins has PFF passing grades of 90.7 and 93.8 from a clean pocket over the past two seasons. It really is a pick-your-poison situation for this Bengals team, and the Vikings should be able to move the ball in whatever manner they choose, with their preference usually being volume on the ground and efficiency through the air. How Cincinnati will try to win. The Bengals will likely come out with an emphasis on their running game and short passing. Behind an upgraded offensive line, they will try to establish more balance and control over the game than they had last season. The Vikings let teams run wild against them last year, ranking bottom 10 by most run defense metrics. That was quite the outlier, however, for a Minnesota defense that has been consistently stout against the run during head coach Mike Zimmer's tenure outside of that one season. They also made significant improvements this offseason through free agency and the return of injured players. The Bengals will attempt to start the year with more balance, but the efficiency with which they are able to do that is in question and may lead them to quickly spread things out and become pass-heavy again. Cincinnati now has three very talented and high-profile wide receivers, which will likely lead them to using a very high rate of 11 personnel, number one in 11 personnel last year. They will spread the field and throw short, quick passes to get the ball out of Burrow's hands and protect him in his first regular season game back from a torn ACL. The Bengals have a good mix of talent in their receiving core. T. Higgins excels downfield and in contested catch situations. Tyler Boyd is great in the middle of the field and creates separation for easy throws. And Jamar Chase is widely regarded as an elite prospect who is very good in all areas and can make plays after the catch. All three wide receivers have those specific strengths but are also very versatile and can be used in various roles, which should allow the Bengals to attack opponents through the air in whatever area the matchup dictates. For this matchup with the Vikings, who play majority cover three and cover two defenses, this will lead to more short and intermediate concepts, a theory that also felt well with the idea that they will be trying to keep Burrow from being hit as often as he gets his feet wet in his first game back. Likeliest Game Flow The Vikings should be able to control this game from the outset due to their advantages on both lines, and their high level of continuity and organizational stability. Simply put, this team knows who they are, and will enter confident in their ability to execute that plan while the Bengals are trying to find an identity. We should expect a heavy dose of the running game and the Vikings to attack their tactical advantages with their playmakers on the outside, while also throwing in the occasional shot play. The Bengals will likely struggle to move the ball as consistently or finish off drives with the efficiency of the Vikings, which will lead to the Vikings being in control for much of the game. 
while the Bengals will strive for more balance early, this Vikings defensive unit will not be the same as the 2020 team that let opponents run wild. They returned some key defensive players from injury, as well as making upgrades to the defensive line in free agency. The game flow will likely force them into a more pass-heavy approach as the game wears on, with their tendencies gradually becoming more aggressive as the game wears on and they struggle to keep pace with the Vikings. Tributaries The Vikings made significant signings in their secondary this offseason, and it is very possible that they are rusty and have some issues early in the season as they build chemistry and familiarity with the scheme. There is a scenario where the young Bengals receiving core is too talented for the Vikings to handle, and Zach Taylor becomes much more aggressive with Burrow in his second season, and by far the best cast of weapons that the Bengals have had in his tenure. In this scenario, the Bengals will be able to move the ball well early in the game and potentially build a lead, forcing the Vikings' hand to turn up the tempo and get away from their preferred, more methodical approach. This scenario would put Joe Mixon in a great spot as the bell cow running back for a team that is sustaining drives and scoring points. We can expect much of the DFS focus in this game to be drawn towards the Bengals' wide receivers due to their price and Delvin Cook due to his high-volume role. A small game stack of Joe Mixon plus Jefferson and or Thielen would seemingly complement each other very well and tell a story for your roster of the Bengals being able to put up points and the Vikings upping their pass rate, with targets condensed due to lack of other options and injuries. While each of those three players will certainly draw respectable levels of ownership on their own, Playing them together and without a QB, even if using both Minnesota wide receivers, should be somewhat unique and allow you to use one of the cheaper QB options on the slate or pair this stack with one of the higher upside premium QBs. Nixon plus Cook is also a reasonable option to be unique as most DFS players avoid opposing running backs in the same game, but both players have large pass game roles and huge TD equity for their respective teams. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Cards at Titans. Kickoff Sunday, September 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 52. Game Overview by Hilo. Two teams that should appear largely familiar to us based on last season. Both teams set up beautifully through the air, play at pace, and have questions on the back half of their defenses. Game script will dictate just how far these teams are able to go through the air. Both teams should be able to attack in their preferred manner. Liable to see 130 to 135 offensive plays run from scrimmage in this one. Standard is around 120-ish. How Arizona will try to win. The Cardinals retained their coaching staff from last season, but added wide receiver A.J. Green through free agency, wide receiver Rondell Moore through the draft, and running back James Conner through free agency. Cliff Kingsbury prefers to play at pace, first-ranked situation neutral pace of play in 2020. With high rush rates to wear a team down, attacking the short, intermediate areas of the field, through the air to set up deep passing. Vance Joseph's man-heavy defense relied on pressure generated through the blitz and sticky coverage in the secondary. Joseph blitzed at the fourth highest rate, and I expect this team to continue their heavy blitz rates with the addition of J.J. Watt. They allowed 4.7 yards per rush attempt and only 9.9 yards per pass completion. They had an above-average 64.04% completion rate against, but lost three defensive backs this offseason, Patrick Peterson, Drake Kirkpatrick, and Jonathan Joseph. Expect this team to try to win games similar to how they did last season, with the exception being this defense is not what it used to be since they replaced the aforementioned defensive backs with Malcolm Butler, who then retired, rookies Marco Wilson and Tay Gowen, 
and Robert Alford, who spent the better part of the last two years on IR. The Cardinals finished 2020 with a top 10 pass blocking and bottom 10 run blocking offensive line, but stayed committed to the run in an attempt to wear defenses down over the course of the game. They somewhat quietly held the 7th highest situation neutral rush raid 2020. The team brought in James Conner to form a running back tandem with holdover Chase Edmonds, and I expect this backfield to be close to an even committee with Conner and quarterback Kyler Murray handling the goal line work. One of the most maddening things watching this team play in 2020 was the straight line running scheme which failed to fully capitalize on the strengths of both Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds, who are best on the edge and with the ball in their hands out of the backfield. This run scheme suits the talents of James Conner more than it does Chase Edmonds, but I expect Kingsbury to continue to try to fit a square peg in a round hole. Tennessee ranked 7th worst in the league in yards allowed per rush attempt in 2020, a trend I expect to continue moving forward. Through the air, expect the same horizontally spread offense from the Cardinals this season, who ran above average 11 personnel and the most four wide sets in the league in 2020. The primary goal of the pass game last season was to put strain on a defense horizontally to set up the vertical shots. Kyler Murray attempted 58 passes of greater than 20 yards last season, resulting in a ridiculously low 28.4% expected completion rate. Even so, those attempts resulted in 23 completions for 874 yards and 8 touchdowns. With the addition of Berno Rondell Moore, we could see this team take a large step forward in downfield passing efficiency. The matchup through the air is a good one as Tennessee lost five total starters on the defensive side of the ball. They appear set to start an inexperienced secondary that utilizes heavy man coverage. DeAndre Hopkins should continue his mediocre ADOT role, career low 8.9 ADOT in 2020, with A.J. Green operating in a similar role on the opposite side of the field, while Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore will be on hand to run heavy deep routes out of the slot and bunch formations. How Tennessee will try to win. The Titans lost both coordinators this offseason and decided to promote from within by hiring Todd Downing as the offensive coordinator, previously the tight end coach, and Shane Bowen as the defensive coordinator. This means we should largely expect this team to look familiar as well, giving us a good idea of how they should try and win games. The norm should be heavy rush rates with their bruiser Derrick Henry behind a top-ranked run-blocking offensive line. Taylor Lewan is healthy heading into 2021 after struggling with injuries last year. Combined with an efficient and concentrated pass game through A.J. Brown and newcomer Julio Jones, expect heavy 12 personnel looks with both Jeff Swaim and Anthony Ferkser on the field and a pace-up approach designed to wear on opposing defenses. The Titans run a heavy zone-blocking run scheme designed to rip holes for power running back Derrick Henry. The only question mark along their offensive line is at right tackle, where Dylan Reduns, second-round rookie, and Ty Sambrello will be competing for snaps. The big picture here is we know with a high level of certainty what this team will look like on the ground, and they match up well with the shortcomings of the Cardinals' run-stopping abilities. The pass game should remain extremely concentrated in 2021, with the departure of Corey Davis and a direct replacement with Julio Jones. Both AJB and Julio are adept route tacticians capable of winning against both man and zone coverages to multiple areas of the field. The matchup is also a good one, with Arizona experiencing significant defensive personnel turnover in the secondary this offseason. There's nothing that tells me the Titans want to increase the 30.1 pass attempts per game they averaged in 2020, but they should remain just as efficient with the personnel on hand. Likeliest Game Flow It is likeliest we see this game jump out to a quick start, with each team so clearly holding the upper hand on the offensive side of the ball. A further likeliest scenario involves the Titans controlling game script, more so via how they wish to attack and less concerned with the actual score on the scoreboard, as in, Titans keep a lead or keep the game within six points, 
where they can pound the run game with Derrick Henry to open up their efficient pass game. Both teams should largely be afforded the opportunity to attack in their optimal way, which involves high rush rates and efficient passing. The opportunity is there for either team to enjoy a quick strike or two early in the game, but as long as the game remains within a score, as I expect, this one should remain rather predictable. Tributaries. The biggest percentage chance of a tributary game script developing here is if either team is able to jump out to an early lead and hold it deep into the game. This scenario would force the Titans into increased pass attempts and elevates the floor of their wide receivers, should they be down, and the Cardinals playing from behind would likely increase pass rates to a level where multiple pass catchers gain relevance. 49ers at Lions. Kickoff Sunday, September 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern. Over-under, 45.5. Game Overview by Hilo. Raheem Mostert carries one of the highest ceilings of all running backs on the slate but his floor is moderate at best considering the presence of Trey Sermon and the likelihood of Sermon fulfilling the goal line running back role. All of Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle offer busted coverage upside, but will require extreme efficiency in order to hit their ceilings. The Lions are in trouble here. Their best chance of moving the football is going to land with the running backs and TJ Hawkinson, two positions that are effectively erased by the Niners' defensive scheme. How San Francisco will try to win. We can be fairly confident in projecting how the 49ers will look this season. They promoted run game coordinator Mike McDaniel to offensive coordinator, and they promoted linebackers coach D'Amico Ryans to defensive coordinator, maintaining a semblance of consistency moving forward. So, this is still Kyle Shanahan's offense, and will resemble Robert Saleh's defense. One change from what we grew to expect last season is that this team is now healthy. Expect the same zone-based run concepts and dynamic passing game, which is designed to get the ball into their playmakers' hands in space. The Niners moved up nine spots in the first round to select rookie quarterback Trey Lance at third overall, but we're likely going to have to wait for his much-anticipated arrival. Expect a loose committee to start the season at the running back position, split between holdover Raheem Mostert and rookie third-round draft selection Trey Sermon. It is likely that Mostert handles a bulk of the work outside of goal line duties to start the year, which should fall to Trey Sermon. Expect Sermon in primarily a change of pace and goal line role early in the year. Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator for the Lions, brings with him a complex 3-4 defensive scheme that mixes man and zone coverages. They are likely to take steps forward in 2021 as a unit, but the introduction of a complex scheme spells trouble early in the year. Expect similar zone run concepts with a heavy running back target rate from the Niners here. Last season, SF targeted running backs a robust 24.5% of the time sixth most in the league. This sets up extremely well for Raheem Mostert to do significant damage here. Through the air, expect a similar plan of attack from what we saw last season. Debo Samuel and Raheem Mostert are healthy and join dynamic wide receiver Brandon Ayuk and all-world tight end George Kittle. Expect layered route trees designed to get their pass catchers in space to allow them to do damage with the ball in their hands. Again, against a complex zone defensive scheme, we're likely to see multiple chunk plays from the Niners through the air. How Detroit will try to win. Anthony Lynn brings with him an antiquated offensive scheme, primarily built to set up deep passing through a power run game. It remains to be seen how he adjusts this offensive philosophy to suit this team's strengths, which are without a doubt DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. One thing we should know with some level of certainty is Lynn loves to scheme targets to his running backs and tight ends. Last season, Lynn's Chargers targeted the position a massive 25.5% of the time, one spot ahead of the Niners. The other problem with Lynn's offense has to do with situational play calling, in that his Chargers threw only 53% of the time on first and second down and were forced to throw on 81% of their third down plays. 
There is nothing that jumps out as an indicator of this changing in Detroit. Another indicator of how to expect this offense to look, Lynn's Chargers filtered 130 total targets to their tight ends in 2020, a vast majority of which should fall to Hawkinson. Looking at the offensive personnel as a whole and comparing it to how Lynn would like this offense to run leaves a lot to desire in the downfield passing game, considering newcomer quarterback Jared Goff has struggled with deep passing over the previous two seasons, as well as this preseason. This should allow smart defensive coordinators to dedicate additional attention inside where Detroit's primary playmakers will be looking to work. We have a bit of uncertainty surrounding the ground game for Week 1. Starting back, DeAndre Swift's availability is in question heading into their first contest after Swift suffered a groin injury early in the preseason. This normally isn't a ton to worry about, but head coach Dan Campbell has publicly stated his concern with Swift's health and conditioning levels. Keep a close eye on Swift's expected level of involvement here, because direct backup and change of pace guru Jamal Williams could be thrust into featured duties should Swift miss or be limited in any fashion. We talked about Lynn's system being predicated on the power run game earlier, which is a poor fit for the personnel on hand. Expect Detroit running backs to struggle against the team that allowed the fifth fewest fantasy points to the position in 2020, including facing the 11th fewest targets to opposing backfields. Through the air, the best bet to move the football for this Lions team resides with the running backs and TJ Hawkinson, two positions that are effectively erased by the 49ers' defensive scheme. 49ers allowed the fewest fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends and the fifth fewest per game to opposing backfields. Expect heavy cover three from the Niners while in zone, and cover one while in man. Cover three's primary weakness is to the intermediate and deep sideline, areas of the field that Goff could find difficult to attack. Likeliest game flow. We're likely to see the Niners assert dominance on this game script from the jump. They are likely to jump out to an early lead and ice the game on the ground. Expect numerous splash plays from San Francisco's offense, hefty yards per rush attempt, and a defense that matches up well with how the Lions are likely to attack. This should lead to a situation where Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon eventually control the tempo of the game, which would lead to increased desperation pass rates from Detroit. Tributaries The tributary in this game involves execution, or lack thereof, from the defensive side of the ball for the 49ers due to their new coordinator. Whenever you introduce a new decision maker, there is a chance things are slow to come together. This case is less likely to completely flip the likeliest game flow, 49ers running away, as it is to turn this game into a back-and-forth affair where the Lions are able to hang deeper into the game offensively. This would raise the ceiling on the 49ers' pass catchers and lead to a situation where they should remain more aggressive further into the game. The Eagles at the Falcons. Kickoff Sunday, September 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 48. Game Overview by Hilo. This game sets up well to smash its Vegas game total. Both Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts set up extremely well to see the perfect mix of volume and matchup. Jalen Hurts carries one of the week's highest floor and ceiling combinations at the quarterback position, and although it is likely one of his pass catchers exceeds expectations, projecting which one will do so is a fool's errand so naked Hurts is highly appealing. Secondary and tertiary members of each team should be considered high range of outcomes plays. How Philadelphia will try to win. The Eagles might be the team that has changed the most this offseason, so bear with me here as I try and get through this as succinctly as possible. 
New head coach Nick Sirianni comes over from the Colts' offensive coordinator position, bringing with him new defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon, Colts' defensive back coach. Shane Stitchen joins the organization as the new offensive coordinator. The big picture with the offense is both Sirianni and Stitchen are new age thinkers, and I expect them to be highly adaptable as far as offensive scheme goes. A nod to Frank Reich as well. On the defensive side of the ball, expect a 3-4 base, zone-heavy look with fluidity along the back half. Both offense and defense are expected to be highly complex. Jalen Hurts takes over this offense after four games as the starter at the tail end of 2020, and he is one of three or four true dual-threat quarterbacks in the league. The team retained tight end Zach Ertz and holds the youngest wide receiver core in the league. Devonta Smith, 22, Jalen Rager, 22, Gez Watkins, 23. Based on the offensive personnel available and the aforementioned coaching leadership, I expect a fluid offense that utilizes layered and intertwined route trees designed to get playmakers in space, with the continuation of above-average 12 personnel alignments. In their first game as a coaching unit, expect this offense to keep their foot on the gas here. Expect Miles Sanders to be utilized in a 60-65% to 65% snap rate roll, spelled by some combination of Boston Scott and rookie fifth-rounder Kenneth Gainwell. The run game should operate as a mixed power and outside zone scheme with heavy running back involvement through the air. Devontae Smith and Jalen Ragor should be borderline every-down players for this pass-catching room, with Kez Watkins in the slot when the team runs 11 personnel. We talked about the offensive design earlier, but the name of the game should be to get that ball to playmakers in space. Devonta Smith is one of the purest route runners to come out of college over the past few years, so I expect him to lead this team in receptions and fantasy production over the course of the season. The wide receivers, although extremely young, all carry blistering speed and viable yards after the catch upside, and rookie Devonta Smith is already pro-ready as far as route running goes. Paired with the expected offensive line woes, primarily in pass protection, and I expect this offense to primarily rely on quick hits, in space, and the ever-present threat of a mobile quarterback. How Atlanta Will Try to Win Arthur Smith comes over from Tennessee's offensive coordinator position to head the Falcons this year, joined by new defensive coordinator Dean Pease as a true defensive mastermind. I expect Smith to bring with him the elevated 12 personnel rates we saw from Tennessee last season, with Kyle Pitts moved around in the formation and Hayden Hurst used more as a prototypical tight end. Calvin Ridley is left alone now as the premier pass catcher on this offense, joined by Russell Gage as the other starting wide receiver. Mike Davis steps in as the de facto borderline workhorse running back, joined only by recent addition Wayne Gallman and wide receiver convert Coradell Patterson. Dean Pease runs a complex defensive scheme that tailors the game to plan to the opponent. He prefers flat 3-4 cover 2, an inverted 3-4 quarters from zone, and 3-4 single high in man. The problem with a complex defense at the beginning of the year is it typically takes time and mistakes before any real progress is felt. On the ground, expect this to be the Mike Davis show. It remains to be seen if Smith intends to utilize the running back position through the pass game more than he did in Tennessee, but I expect that to be the case considering Davis's dynamic skill set in that area. Expect this offense to play at a fast speed and utilize the running back position heavily to wear the opposition down over the course of the game. The Falcons' pass game gives me a very Kansas City vibe, in that we have two clear lead dogs in Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts, and then a smattering of mediocrity behind them. I expect the offense to be extremely concentrated and balanced, meaning Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and Mike Davis carry elevated weekly floors and sky-high weekly ceilings. Likeliest Game Flow 
Looking at the makeup of this game from a top-down perspective, we begin to realize that we have two coaching staffs that are going to be looking to make a statement. Both are expected to play at elevated paces of play. Both are introducing complex coverage schemes on defense that they didn't tip during the preseason. And both have dynamic offenses capable of splash plays along multiple levels of the field. It is likely we see some fireworks from this one, and the current 47.0 game total feels about three points too low, maybe more. Tributaries. If, on the other hand, we see the offenses struggle in their first game of the season under new coaching, this game could play to the under and underwhelm from a fantasy perspective. The chances of that happening from my exploration of this game are quite low, but it bears mention in this space. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Steelers at the Bills kick off Sunday, September 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 49. Game Overview by Hilo. Stephon Diggs against man coverage equals feast. We might see 80 pass attempts combined in this game. Deontay Johnson sets up well to avoid lockdown corner Tredavious White. Correlated wide receiver pairings from this game are likely to go under-owned. How Pittsburgh will try to win. The biggest change out of Pittsburgh this season is the promotion of Matt Canada to offensive coordinator. Canada wants to simplify the offense and incorporate a pistol backfield paired with pace of play. Pistol can make the offense appear less predictable to an opposing defense, and this is, in my opinion, the best way to play to the personnel and identity of this team. Aging Ben Roethlisberger, dynamic rookie running back Najee Harris, dynamic receiving core, and a serviceable tight end. Pistol should also facilitate more play action, power, inside zone, and pin and pull rushes while getting playmakers into space. Last season, the Steelers ranked 6th in the NFL in pace of play, while holding the PFF's 31st ranked offensive line. They added a dynamic running back and we should expect this team to look similar at first glance, but improve on their dreadful efficiency from 2020 through the incorporation of a more dynamic offense, ranked just 25th in drive success rate. On the ground, expect a better mix of rushing concepts than we saw last year with a more straight-line James Conner. The pistol offense, basically a hybrid shotgun, allows this team to appear less predictable when it comes to the run game, but it also helps keep Big Ben off-center due to his limited mobility. My expectation for Najee Harris is that we see more of a legacy LeVon Bell-type usage and production, with a stable floor of 5-6 to six targets per game and a ceiling for more depending on game flow. The matchup on the ground should be considered a neutral one, but the expected struggles of this offensive line should not be understated. The Steelers finished 2022nd in the league in 11 personnel usage at 75%, just one spot behind the Bengals. While I expect that to continue, I don't expect them to target running backs at a lowly 12.4% clip. As such, look for their ridiculous 70.4% wide receiver target rate to dip some this season, making the situation one to monitor for where those targets flow. We're liable to see the same pass volume moving forward and an increase to drive success rate, meaning more scoring opportunities through the air. I expect Deontay Johnson to man the slot from 11 and shift outside when the team brings in other packages, meaning Juju Smith-Schuster is the likeliest wide receiver to see a hit to both snap rates and production. Perimeter wide receiver Chase Claypool should see a good deal of lockdown corner Tredavious White here, making Johnson the best bet for funneled targets. His floor is among the highest on the slate at the wide receiver position, bringing a solid ceiling as well. How Buffalo will try to win. 
We know with a high level of certainty how this offense will look heading into 2021. Expect elevated pass rates from 11 personnel, tied for third in the NFL in 2020 in 11 personnel rates at 71%, and four wide sets, second in the NFL in 2020 at 15%. Power rushes and rushes off the edge when they do run, and layered and intertwined route trees designed to get the first read open. Stefan Diggs should play primarily perimeter, Cole Beasley should play only slot, Emmanuel Sanders should move all over the formation as Brian DeBowell's queen piece, and Gabriel Davis should see between 45 and 60% of the snaps weekly as an additional perimeter threat. The matchup on the ground is a net negative for the Buffalo run game, which almost doesn't matter at this point based on Brian DeBowell's propensity to keep the pressure on through the air. The Steelers allowed a middling 4.3 average yards per rush attempt and returned standout nose tackle Tyson Alualu. Betting on this committee backfield, one in which quarterback Josh Allen is the best bet for red zone rushing, is a bet on an extreme outlier. The loss of corner Mike Hilton and outside linebacker Bud Dupree is a sizable hit to the steel napkin. Get it? It's smaller than a curtain? Okay, bad joke. Got it. The Steelers should be most attackable over the interior of the defense and deep middle of the field as they play heavy man coverages with high blitz rates. Buffalo ranked 5th in the league in sack rate allowed at just 4.8%, so they should be well equipped to deal with the Steelers' blitz rates here. Stephon Diggs against man coverage is simply not fair, as evidenced by his eruption when these teams played last season. The Steelers' inside-out defensive philosophy makes Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders tough to bet on, while Gabriel Davis should be considered a low-floor, moderate upside play. Likeliest Game Flow The best part about pitting two teams near the top of the league in pass rates. All the additional offensive plays run from scrimmage and possessions we should see here. It is likeliest the Bills have an easier time moving the ball to start here as the Steelers search for their new offensive identity under Canada. Diggs against man coverage is a cheat code and he sets up well for a nice game. The propensity for DeBall to keep his foot on the gas means this is likely to keep pressure on Pittsburgh to keep up offensively, which is a boost to Deontay Johnson inside. Najee Harris is likely to see additional targets filtered his way as well in this game flow, especially if the Steelers enter a desperation mode. And there is nothing on the Buffalo defense that should scare us away from a pass-catching running back. The Packers at the Saints kick off Sunday, September 12th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 50.0. Game Overview by Hilo. Difficult matchup on paper for the Packers due to the defensive personnel and scheme of the Saints. Difficult matchup for the Saints if the Packers game plan appropriately for the Saints offense. This game is a perfect example of preconceived notions and thinking we know more than we do before actually digging in. I personally found myself thinking, really? A bunch while digging in and writing it up. An interesting case where the field will be viewing this game from the lens of the tributary, and ownership is likely to reflect that. How Green Bay will try to win. The biggest changes for this Packers team are along the offensive line and defense. The team lost a top-rated piece of that offensive line for the second year in a row with the departure of Corey Lindsley, drafted rookie corner Eric Stokes to replace weak link-in-the-chain Kevin King, looks set to start the season with two rookies along the offensive line, center Josh Myers and right guard Royce Newman, while top interior lineman David Bakhtiari recovers from injury, and have a new defensive coordinator in Joe Barry. On the defensive side of the ball, the secondary should be this team's strength once again, with newcomer Stokes, all-world corner Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, and Adrian Amos forming one of the better secondaries in the league on paper. 
Expect defensive coordinator Joe Barry to continue a zone-heavy defensive scheme, primarily utilizing cover three and cover one, with heavy pre-snap movements and misdirections incorporated. We shouldn't expect much to change from what we grew accustomed to from this offense over the last two seasons, with the one major adjustment being the likelihood of wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling's development into a more complete wide receiver. I expect MVS to operate as a borderline every-snap wide receiver. As mentioned, the offensive line is a legitimate question mark early in the year for the Packers, which could spell trouble here against a New Orleans team that ranked third in the NFL in 2020 in adjusted sack rate and surrendered the fewest fantasy points per game to opposing backfields. That said, the Saints will be starting three new members along their defensive line, but scheme and second-level coverage should serve to mitigate any drop-off in production. Running back Aaron Jones should maintain a large portion of the running back opportunities from this backfield, which typically results in 20 to 22 opportunities in a standard week. The situation has become more murky than originally forecast behind Jones with the eruption of rookie running back Kylan Hill this preseason. I'd expect A.J. Dillon to begin the season as the primary change of pace back with possible sparse goal line involvement. Through the air, I fully expect corner Marshawn Lattimore to be used in tight shadow on Devontae Adams, with possible strong side safety help. Lattimore is typically used in shadow coverage on possession-style opposing ones, and newcomer corner Ken Crawley brings 4.43 speed to the table on the other side of the field to handle the 4.37 speed of presumed every-down wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling. With the back end primarily in man coverage, the matchup should set up best for tight end Robert Tonyan Jr. on the inside, but he had exactly two games all season in 2020 over a 63% snap rate, 67% in Week 4 and 73% in Week 11. The Packers boasted the most efficient offense in 2020, so this should not be viewed as a matchup the Packers absolutely cannot win. It simply sets up as one of the more difficult matchups they will see all season. How New Orleans Will Try to Win the Saints bring a team into 2021 with a good deal of changes of their own. Drew Brees' retirement leaves the Saints in the W hands of Jameis Winston. There are also three new members along their defensive line, including the absence of top interior lineman David Onyemata through a six-game suspension. I expect an offense largely built around Alvin Kamara to start the year, which sets up well for the path of least resistance against the Packers if they do not correctly game plan defensively. The Saints ended 2020 with a top five offensive line and begin 2021 with a top five offensive line. With Jameis Winston now at quarterback, that is likely what they will be leaning on to win games to begin the year. Running back Alvin Kamara is one of the most dynamic backs in the league, capable of inflicting mass casualties with the ball in his hands either out of the backfield or through the air. With Michael Thomas out for at least six games, Expect Sean Payton to design an offense to get the ball into his best playmaker's hands, in basically any and all ways possible. The matchup on the ground is a good one, as the Packers surrendered a whopping 27.9 fantasy points per game to opposing backfield in 2020, fifth most in the league. The Saints begin the season with a starting wide receiver core consisting of Traquan Smith and Marquez Calloway, two situational-slash-role wide receivers until this season. Callaway absolutely showed out in preseason and should be this team's lead receiving option to start the year. The matchup with the Packers is a poor one through the air. The fantasy prospectus of this side of the ball ultimately comes down to how the Packers approach their game plan defensively. Tight end Adam Troutman escaped major injury two weeks ago, but is listed as questionable a week out. Likeliest Game Flow this game will likely be decided by the Saints' ability to sustain drives with Jameis at quarterback and influenced by the Packers' ability to dedicate additional personnel to the interior. 
I expect Green Bay to begin the game in cover one and single high safety in an attempt to gain an extra body in the second level. They would do well to dedicate nickel coverage out of this alignment to Alvin Kamara, but it remains to be seen if they will approach this game in this fashion, as Joe Barry is somewhat of an old-school coordinator. The Saints played from 11 personnel only 54% of their offensive snaps in 2020 and will be without Michael Thomas, meaning a forward-thinking defensive game plan would involve additional attention to Kamara. But this is all pure conjuncture at this point. If the Packers can effectively remove Kamara from the game and neutralize Marquez Calloway and Traquan Smith with their athletic corners, it is likely the Saints struggle to move the ball. This would directly lead to a game script in which both teams struggle early to put up points, and the end score would depend on how each team adjusts as the game moves on. Also of note, this game will be played in Jacksonville, as opposed to New Orleans, after Hurricane Ida passed through the Gulf last week. Tributaries The first two or three possessions from the Saints will likely decide how this game ultimately unfolds. If the Packers do not dedicate additional attention to Kamara, they could be in trouble here, which would place them in increased pass mode for the duration of the game. Adams would see increased volume in this scenario and has a path to the top wide receiver score on the slate if left in single coverage. The Broncos at the Giants kick off Sunday, September 12th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 41.5. Game Overview by Pappy324. This game has the look of a sloppy, low-scoring affair with the lowest total on the slate. Javante Williams is priced at the stone minimum on DK, $4,000. New York will struggle to find time to throw the ball downfield. Denver will be content to win this game on defense. How Denver will try to win. This game boasts the lowest total on the slate, and a big part of that is because of how dreadful Denver was on offense last season. Drew Locke isn't very good at football. He ranked dead last against the Blitz and was only average when not pressured. Teddy Bridgewater has supplanted Locke as the starter, which offers hope, but Bridgewater is far from a world beater. His ability to not turn the ball over is where Bridgewater should be a substantial upgrade from Locke. Vic Fangio is a defensive-minded coach who wants to win with a conservative offense that doesn't make mistakes and a strong defense. Fangio wants to not lose the game rather than win it, which isn't an appealing setup for fantasy. Denver's wide receiver room has talent, especially their top three options of Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and KJ Hamler. But only the very best wide receivers, think Larry Fitzgerald or Allen Robinson, can consistently overcome poor QB play. While Bridgewater is an upgrade, he is also likely to be conservative, and a change at QB makes it difficult to know how target share will be distributed. Expect Sutton and Judy to work as a 1A-1B tandem this season, unless one of them emerges as a clear star. It wouldn't be shocking to see either player lead the team in Week 1 targets. Hamler is an exciting player, but until we see a more consistent role, he is hard to project for more than 3-5 to five low upside targets. Behind the top three wide receivers, Tim Patrick is still around and is likely to rotate in enough to cost the starters a little value, without providing any standalone value himself. Noah Fant is a talented, emerging tight end, but poor QB play is also an issue. Coach speak out of camp has been that they want to get Fant involved in creative ways. We will see if that comes to fruition. It's possible Bridgewater's conservative style leads to more targets for Fant as a safety blanket, but that's mostly speculation. 
Expect Fant to see four to seven moderate upside looks with potential for more. Denver's backfield is shaping up to be a true timeshare between Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. It would be easy to get excited about either player if the other one didn't exist. In the current scenario, we have what appears to be a 50-50 split that will crush both players' value. Either one could emerge as a hot hand week to week, or eventually wrestle control of the backfield away from the other guy. But as of now, it looks to be a mind-numbing situation for fantasy. How New York will try to win. New York desperately needed to improve their offensive line, and they did a terrible job. They lost their only good lineman in Kevin Zietler, a year after ranking dead last in essentially every pass-blocking metric. New York's O-line doesn't boast a single player that has even been above average in the NFL. It's made up of players who might develop and guys who we already know probably won't. This is easily a bottom three O-line. Daniel Jones has weapons, but he is notorious for holding onto the ball and might lead the league in sacks behind this O-line. Jason Garrett is running the offense, and he has looked clueless more than once in his career. Expect to see an offense that tries to be aggressive, but ends up finding itself taking a lot of sacks. New York has talent at wide receiver. Kenny Galladay is the new alpha, and his supporting cast of Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and rookie Kadarius Toney is above average. The problem is they've essentially all been hurt in camp, and while we expect to see everyone to be ready for week one, we don't know for sure how they'll be used. It's fair to assume Galladay will function as the alpha, soaking up 8-10 to 10 intermediate deep looks a game. Shepard will operate out of the slot, seeing 5-8 to eight low upside looks, with the rest of the cast mixing in behind the top two. Evan Ingram will also command targets, assuming health, after being heavily targeted and highly inefficient last year. Eventually, do we have to accept maybe Ingram is simply a bust? Ingram is currently iffy to suit up week one, and even if he does, we should expect a significant drop in target volume from last year, with increased competition. New York's running game starts and ends with Saquon Barkley. Quan was a phenom when he entered the league, but is coming off a significant injury and running behind a putrid O-line. Jason Garrett is the type of OC that tries to keep everyone happy by getting everyone their touches, rather than focusing on attacking a defense repeatedly where it's weak. Expect Quan, assuming health, to get his work, even if it's ineffective. Likeliest Game Flow this game has the lowest total on the slate at 42.5, with Denver installed as 2.5 road favorites. We should expect an ugly, mistake-filled game, where both offenses struggle. Although Denver is the favorite and the better team, this is the type of spot between two bad teams where anything could happen. The most likely game flow is a sloppy affair where Denver's conservative QB makes fewer mistakes than New York's awful O-line, giving Denver a low-scoring victory. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Dolphins at the Patriots kick off Sunday, September 12th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 43.5. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 Miami has built their offense around Tua Tagovailoa and surrounded him with speed all over the field. New England returned some key players on defense this season and made some impactful additions through the draft and free agency. Mac Jones makes his pro debut against one of the league's best secondaries and a coach who is familiar with the Patriots system. There is a clear path of least resistance for the Patriots to attack offensively, while the Dolphins will need to be very calculated in how they attack to cover up some deficiencies. How Miami will try to win. 
The Dolphins' chances of offensive success in Week 1 got a big boost when it was announced all-pro cornerback Stephon Gilmore would start the season on the PUP list. Will Fuller will be out for this game as he serves the rest of his suspension that began in 2020. Devontae Parker has been managing some lower body issues throughout training camp, so the absence of Gilmore at least gives the Dolphins' passing game a fighting chance. However, the Dolphins will need every advantage they can find as they enter the season with perhaps the league's worst offensive line and are facing a very talented and aggressive New England rush pass. Dolphins QB Tua Tagovailoa struggled last year with identifying defenses and coverages, so you can safely bet that Belichick and the Patriots will throw a lot at him throughout this game to make him prove he has improved in that area. The Dolphins are not a great running team. Their line is weak, and their top two running backs, Miles Gaskin and Malcolm Brown, were the 34th and 38th graded running backs by PFF last year out of the 47 players with at least 100 rush attempts. This means that the Dolphins are not great at creating yards through blocking, and are also not great at making defenders miss and creating yards after contact. Not a good combination. The Dolphins' best chance to move the ball should be through the air, by isolating their backs and athletic tight ends against New England's athletically deficient off-ball linebackers. The issue with executing that plan will be providing enough blocking support to their overmatched offensive lines, with backs and tight ends running routes. The other area the Dolphins could attack would be short passes and crossing routes to their speedy wide receivers. Due to the mismatch up front, it will be difficult for the Dolphins to push the ball down the field without risking disaster. How New England will try to win The Patriots, with Mac Jones under center, will look much less like the 2020 version, and more like the offense we saw for the few years before that. Jones is an extremely high IQ player with tremendous accuracy and timing from the pocket. He is very similar in playing style and traits to Tom Brady. Dolphins head coach Brian Flores comes from the New England coaching tree and will be very familiar with what he faces in week one. Mac Jones likes to step up in the pocket and deliver accurate strikes with timing. Flores will be trying to bring pressure and stunts up the middle to force Jones out of the pocket where he will have to use his legs and or make off-platform throws. Per PFF, the Dolphins blitzed at the fifth highest rate in 2020 and also played the most man coverage in the league, relying on their highly talented corners to lock up opposing receiving cores. The Patriots' best way to move the ball will be on the ground behind their top five offensive line against a Dolphins defense whose biggest weakness is in the trenches. Expect a heavy dose of runs early in the game with a mix of designed short area passes to slot receivers, tight ends, and running backs. Bill Belichick is notorious for his game plans that avoid his opponent's strengths while attacking their weaknesses. This matchup presents a clear recipe for the Patriots, and we should expect them to have Jones avoid the Dolphins' stud cornerbacks at all costs in his regular season debut for as long as possible. Likeliest Game Flow The Patriots are likely to control the game as their running game should allow them to sustain drives and stay ahead of the chains and out of third and long situations, making things very manageable for Mac Jones to attack the Dolphins' areas of weakness. Meanwhile, the Dolphins will likely struggle to move the ball on the ground and won't be able to push the ball down the field due to pass-blocking concerns. This will make them very predictable, which is not ideal when facing a Bill Belichick defense. The Patriots are likely to build a lead. Still, it is unlikely to be done suddenly as the matchup will dictate a more methodical approach, and the Dolphins will provide some defensive resistance. The Dolphins will need to spring some big plays in the middle of the field and or after the catch to move the ball and score enough points to be in it for the fourth quarter. The Browns at the Chiefs 
kick off Sunday, September 12th at 425 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 54.0. Game Overview by Hilo. This game sets up well for Cleveland to see 33-35 rush attempts on the ground, split 60-40 amongst Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. This game also sets up well for Cleveland to move the football, but poorly for any individual player. Nothing about the 4-2-5 base cover 3 defensive alignment should deter Kansas City from attacking in their preferred manner. Cleveland should control the tempo and pace here for as long as the game remains within striking distance. How Cleveland will try to win. The Browns are one of the more straightforward teams as we enter 2021. Not a whole lot has changed with respect to personnel, coaching, or how this team should try to win games. The team returns all five starters along an offensive line that ranked first in pass protection and second in run blocking in 2020, after averaging 30.4 rush attempts per game, fifth in the league. On the defensive side of the ball, we can expect a heavy zone defense under second-year coordinator Joe Woods, who ran a 4-2-5 base cover three defense in 2020. The biggest thing for this team's defense is health, as they lost a combined 45.8 games to injury in the secondary alone in 2020. We pretty much know what to expect from this team on the ground. Nick Chubb averaged just a 51.6% snap rate after returning from injury in 2020, leading to an average of 18.5 running back opportunities per game over that time. With Kareem Hunt still on hand, expect that trend to loosely continue, leading to 18 to 22 running back opportunities per standard game, with Hunt soaking up 14 to 16 running back opportunities per game himself. This offense is most certainly at their best with both Chubb and Hunt on the field together, but the Browns ran 21 personnel in embarrassingly low 5% of the time over the second half of the 2020 season. The Chiefs surrendered the 8th most fantasy points to opposing backfields in 2020 despite allowing only 7 rushing scores, primarily due to the 121 targets filtered to the position. The pure rushing metrics painted a different picture as the team allowed a moderate 4.5 yards per rush attempt. The Browns' maddening usage of the talent they possess at wide receiver continued last season. Odell Beckham Jr. ran primarily slants, goes, posts, and comebacks in 2020, while Jarvis Landry ran primarily outs, crosses, slants, and hooks, most of which are on the low upside after the catch variety. Kansas City's high rate of zone coverage, fourth most in the league in 2020, and standout secondary led to the second fewest fantasy points allowed on downfield passing. The aim of Spagnuolo's heavy, dual-high safety defense is to keep the game in front of them, allowing inside, underneath, and low upside receiving work. While this bodes well for the Browns in a move-the-football sense, it leaves a lot to be desired from the primary pass catchers in this offense from an expected fantasy points standpoint. The Chiefs struggle to handle the dynamic tight ends via this defensive formation, but tight ends Austin Hooper, David Njoku, and Harrison Bryant split snaps at a 40-35-25% clip. How Kansas City Will Try to Win Kansas City is another team we largely know what we're going to get heading into 2021 as the coaching staff and most primary players return. On the offensive side, Sammy Watkins headed to Baltimore and is expected to be replaced by Mercole Hardman to start the season. If you haven't yet read the What to Expect Primer, 
team previews available on OneWeekSeason.com, I highly recommend you do so. There, I break down what I expect as far as snap rate for these chief wide receivers to start the year. The other big story out of Kansas City is the complete overhaul along the offensive line. Expect no less than four new bodies to start the season, all of which should be considered an upgrade from 2020. Other than that, we pretty much know what we're going to get from 2020's second most efficient offense. The improvements expected along the offensive line cannot be understated after then-rookie running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire finished 2020 on the wrong side of his variance. His four touchdowns were less than half of his expected output based on role and usage. Furthermore, prior to the arrival of LeVon Bell in Week 6 of 2020, CEH was on the field at the league's fifth-highest running back snap rate and held the league's second-highest expected fantasy points per game. Look for him to improve upon his 4.4 yards per carry and efficiency metrics this season. The matchup this week is less than ideal after the Browns surrendered just 21 fantasy points per game to the running back position in 2020, seventh best in the league, including only 4.1 average yards per rush against. The Browns' defensive line is one of the top units in the league, capable in both the run game and getting to the quarterback. Behind CEH, expect both Darrell Williams and newcomer Jarek McKinnon to share a lowly snap rate and running back opportunity share. Tight end Travis Kelsey and wide receiver Tyreek Hill should continue to dominate both targets and fantasy output for the Chiefs this year. Expect Mercole Hardman to operate in the previous year's Sammy Watkins role, and both Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle to see snaps in a dynamic offense behind them. The matchup is quite interesting here, as the Browns' 4-2-5 cover-3 base defense attempts to keep the game in front of them via low blitz rates and suffocating back-end ball hawking. The bend-but-don't-break defensive philosophy has led to increased damage against from opposing tight ends, evidenced by them allowing the fourth-most fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends in 2020. This isn't necessarily a matchup Tyreek Hill cannot beat, because all it takes is one busted coverage or mental lapse in heavy zone formations for the league's second-most efficient wide receiver, from a fantasy points-per-touch perspective, behind only A.J. Brown, to inflict heavy damage. The tertiary options in the pass game will require additional volume in order to provide a bankable floor and ceiling combination, which is unlikely based on the combined pace of play and total offensive plays expected in the likeliest game flow. Likeliest Game Flow how each team would prefer to attack and what each defense is most likely to give up line up fairly well here, with Kansas City most apt to allow rushing production and underneath passing, and Cleveland most apt to allow production inside to running backs through the air and tight ends, and the possibility for busted coverages early in the year. What this means is we should expect the Browns to continue a slow pace of play and try to win the game on the ground with their pair of dynamic running backs for as long as they remain in the game, which should serve to control the overall tempo and pace. The Browns ranked 29th in the league in 2020 in situation-neutral pace of play, with the score within six points. Kansas City has all the required pieces to dissect a zone-heavy defensive scheme, with all of Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire excellent against the expected alignments. In all, it will be Cleveland who dictates the overall game environment in Week 1. Tributaries the only way this game plays to a tributary, speaking to the game environment as a whole, 
is if the Chiefs go up by multiple scores early, which would tilt the Browns more pass-heavy and open up the opportunity for more offensive plays to be run from scrimmage for both teams. This scenario is likely for the Chiefs when compared to a standard week against the now-healthy prevent defense of the Browns. In this case, both Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. gain an increased volume expectation, and this is about the only scenario, outside of either scoring multiple touchdowns, in which we should expect GPP-worthy scores out of the Browns' pass catchers. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level.